Welcome to the Taylor and Jen podcast. Mornings with Taylor and Jen. There are no biscuits that scare this man. Life 107.1. I have such fond memories of high school math. Really? Yeah. But it wasn't because of my prowess in that area. In fact, I am awful at math. Anything above like sixth grade multiplication and I can't do it. Yep. Period. So math is not my thing. However, I had the world's best, nicest, most fantastic math teacher all through high school because I went to a small one on the East Coast. His name was Ken Fossbenner. Fossbenner. Isn't that a great last name? That's good. Anyway, Ken Fossbenner was the kindest, sweetest, nicest math teacher. And he was friends with my mom and dad. My dad actually happened to be one of the principals at the school. So um, after I graduated, thankfully, got out of high school math and I'm graduating and I'm about to go off to college. That summer, Mr. Fossbenner comes over to our house for dinner. Yeah. And he walked in and he was kind of chit-chatting with mom and dad and he looked at me and I said, hi, Mr. Fossbender. And he said, oh, no. Nope, you don't have to call me that anymore. He said, now you can call me Ken. Oh, boy. And I said, no, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, "Well, well, you can. And I said... No, I can't. I can't. Not even if you tell me I have to. <laughs> to this day, Mr. Fossbender is still my Facebook friend. He's still the most magnificent, wonderful man mm-hmm. in the world. And I will never call him Ken. <laughs> it's a pretty simple question, although the ask is pretty hard. <laughs> when you run into one of your teachers after you have graduated and they say, Oh, you could call me by my first name. <laughs> Can you? I cannot. No. My math teacher goes to my parents' church, and so they'll call him by his first name, and I'm like, oh, you mean Mr. Cole? They're like, yes, Mr. Cole. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Mr. Cole. How long has it been since you had Mr. Cole as a teacher? Uh, Six years. Six Six, years. Okay, so you're legitimately an adult. You're firmly in your 20s. Yeah. And you are technically yeah. a peer. Yes. <laughs> but does it feel that way? Oh, no. 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 <laughs> I think my parents still call some of their teachers by Mr. and Mrs. too. So you graduate and then you run into one of your teachers and they give you an assignment. And the assignment is, oh, please call me by my first name. It is the scariest and most stressful <laughs> assignment you will face. And we want to know, can you complete it? Well, I am a teacher. Okay. Okay. And when I started teaching in the district that I came up through, I had to teach with teachers that had me, uh-huh. and I still couldn't call them by their first name. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, well, hello, Mr. Morrison. <laughs> and he's like, Jill, it's not. No, it's not. It's no. Mr. Morrison. <laughs> so the struggle is real. Okay. <laughs> We've been talking about how impossible it is to call your former teachers by their first name after you graduate. But Sarah has an interesting problem. So I am a teacher and I met you at the Mercy Me concert. Hi, Sarah! Oh, that's Sarah. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) I've got to tell you that my middle schoolers are a whole different breed of students because... They wait until I no longer have them. And then they'll be like, hey, Sarah. I'm like, the guys, this is weird. This is really weird. <laughs> but I think I'm going to chalk this up to young teacher problems uh-huh. because I still get mistaken as a student. Oh, so. yeah. And that is not a bad thing. Lean into it for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> I will try. I will try. Yeah. <laughs> so if it's going to act like summer, I feel like we should talk like summer. Mm. And I know that there are people who wait all winter long 
standing next to their fishing pole mm. because they cannot wait to go out and go fishing. <laughs> and when there is fishing, there is fishing stories. I have a, well, she's a, a teenager now, but we went to a pond in my friend's house and when she was younger, her first time ever fishing, and she had one of those little uh, go Disney pools. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's been practicing all week long to go fishing with me, and so we put her out there and the whole family was there with two, the line out, and... She's reeling in real slow, but she kept walking towards the water and kept going into the water and kept going to the water. I go, I go, Reese, what are you doing? And she goes, Dad, something's on my pole. And so she reeled, reeled, reeled real hard. And she caught a three and a half pound bass her first time out. Whoa! She was almost knee deep in water in a pond. We didn't understand. <laughs> she didn't understand how to pull back on the pole. She just kept letting it drag into the water. So, yeah. The I'll bass just, almost fished her. I'll just meet you out there, yeah. fish. You you just hang on. Uh, first time she ever put a, a, a line in the water, she caught like almost a three, three and a half pound bass out of that pond. So, does she still fish? Yeah. She does not fish at all. She hates it. My friend posted the most beautiful picture of his son sitting on the side of a hill, watching as the pond in their development is being dug out. And he's like, buddy, what are you doing? And the little guy said, I'm waiting to go fishing. (laughs) And that's what I think a lot of people are starting to think this time of year. Fishing! Uh, So my grandfather recently passed away, and one of the things we got to remember him was this little statue of a boy fishing. Oh, really? Because my grandpa loved to fish, and he was a missionary as well, so he was also a fisher of men. Oh. But he, he loved going fishing, and I remember specifically going fishing with him this one time because we had out behind our church growing up, there was just this little little creek, little pond, and we left church one day, and he goes, but we could fish that. <laughs> to you? To me, yeah, to, just to like the whole family. And so one Saturday, we pack up the car, and we go to church to fish the pond out behind it. Okay. And I'm sitting there next to Grandpa, and you know, he's got his line in there. And let me tell you, Jen, I am on fire that day. Oh, really? I am reeling them in. I didn't know you could fish. Well, it wasn't until years later that I realized when my grandfather said, oh, you caught another mudfish. What he meant was I had snagged a muddy leaf. (laughs) There were so many dead leaves in that pond. And I was hooking them all. I don't know. It's almost like, you know, Norman Rockwell. There's something so quintessential about summer and fishing. I don't fish now, and I I probably didn't really fish then either. But when I was a kid, my grandpa used to take my brothers and I out fishing, and he would always take us to the bait shop. And that was my favorite part because the bait shop was loaded with candy, like, you know, those little wax bottles filled with juice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All that disgusting stuff that we loved back in the 70s. Oh, yeah. So my grandpa would be like, stay out of that candy until I tell you you can have it. But every time he turned us back to, like, cast his reel, I would sneak over and get into the candy. And then <laughs> every time my brother would cast his reel. But he pushed the button when he threw it backwards. And every time he caught me. Oh, oh. no! Jen! <laughs> It hurt. I had so well, many puncture wounds. <laughs> so many puncture wounds. Honey, at some point, it's not worth it. Just stop going. You can get your candy a different way. I know, but I just wanted the wax bottles with the juice. Oh, my goodness. Good morning, Zoe. Do you have a fishing story? Up in Clear Lake, I was with my grandpa, and I loved to fish with him. He gave me a fishing rod for my birthday. Oh, cool. And... So I was like, Grandpa, can we go out? 
because he has a canal and a dock. And he's like, yeah, but don't get too excited. I've been fishing out for three weeks and haven't caught anything. Mm. Oh. So I put my rod in and my grandpa has to taught me and like, Zoe, reel in. I caught a fish right away. Yes. <laughs> what did your grandpa say? He was like, but how? What? <laughs> now, honey, that is a good fish story. Tell me how big that fish was that you caught. I don't really know. Okay, so the next time you tell the story, you make sure you tell people that that fish was at least a foot long. Okay. <laughs> Every time you tell it, the fish gets bigger. That's how it works. That's how a fish story works. Okay. Can you tell me if this is weird or not? Okay, yeah, I'm always willing to give my opinion on that. Because I, I was talking to a friend, mm-hmm. and she kind of took on that voice of like, okay, I'm about I'm about to confess something to you. Oh, yay. What? And she's like, I love movie theater popcorn. Well, who doesn't? I know. And then she said, in fact, I don't even care what movie I'm seeing. I will just go to the movies to eat the popcorn. Like, literally does not matter what's on the screen. I'm here for the popcorn. (laughs) Really? And then she said... Oh, my goodness. I went to a movie once, and I finished the entire bucket of popcorn. Oh. And then after the movie ended, I got a refill and took the bucket home with me. So she could eat more popcorn at home? She got a to-go box for her popcorn. (laughs) Like, that's... Is it weird? No. No? Is it double down commitment that I find admirable? <laughs> yes. I think I have a new life goal. How did you even start talking about movie popcorn with your friend yesterday? Because uh, I was going to go see a movie this weekend. And so she started talking about popcorn. Immediately. She was like, movies? Let me tell you about popcorn. She is one of these that it doesn't matter what movie she's going to see. It's just all about the popcorn, which I can kind of understand. For me, it's not a movie at a theater if I don't have popcorn. So if you're going to a theater and you can only have one between pop, popcorn, and movie candy, which one are you going with? I would definitely say popcorn all day. I worked at a theater for multiple years and definitely got hooked on theater popcorn. When's the best time to get popcorn, <laughs> mister? I've worked in a theater for years. I would probably say more to the middle of the day because there are times where you do reuse popcorn that was left over. Okay. Sometimes we would bag it up in plastic bags and then we would use that depending on how busy it was. Okay. Do you ever sell those giant plastic bags? (laughs) They never sold them that I knew of, but there definitely were people who went home with them. Oh, that's so lucky. I might quit just to be able to do that. (laughs) Well, I'm moving to Newton. (laughs) Our friend Amanda just told us at Newton's Theater... You can buy popcorn by the garbage bag. That's so much popcorn. Popcorn by the garbage bag. That's so much. She said they also have a punch card. She said buying popcorn at our theater is a thing. Wow. It is a thing here. Newton, I'm coming for you. See, here's the thing, though. (laughs) I like movie theater popcorn. No, but this is is next level. But if I'm going to a theater and I've got to choose like one thing that I am going to consume while I'm there, whether it's popcorn or drink or candy... I have to literally have to go with the movie theater candy at this point. Well, I don't think anybody is surprised by that. And you're not alone. My friend Jeff texted me and said that he is the same. He's got to have candy. Because here's my problem. I am a movie sleeper. 
I, I, I literally fell asleep watching a movie last night, and it was a movie that I'd been wanting to see for a long time. You would go to a movie theater and fall asleep? Jen, I have slept through <laughs> Thor. I slept through Inception. Oh I've slept God. through multiple Batman movies. Why? I don't know. I just I just sleep. My body's like, hey, it's dark and warm in here. So what I do, I get a box of Sour Patch Kids and I set them on the armrest next to me. And when I start getting drowsy, I open it up and I just start I just start popping the Sour Patch Kids. So you don't eat candy for the pleasure. You eat candy for the necessity. I mean, there certainly is pleasure when I'm eating Sour Patch Kids. I have to admit, it makes me smile every single time I see her. She pedals so fast. That her hair streams behind her in the wind. There is a little girl in my neighborhood and she is always on her bike after school. My guess is she runs in the house, drops her stuff, runs outside, gets on her bike (laughs) and just and here's here's the kicker. They just repaved my road. Oh, so it's good bike and surface. It's per- it's so smooth. Yeah. It's so clear and she just goes like a house of fire up and down and then she visits some of her friends and I don't even care that sometimes when I get on the road she and her friends are in front of me and they don't move out of the way. <laughs> and I just kind of, you know, tool along behind them yep. until I get to my driveway and I pull in. Mm-hmm. Because when I see her pedaling with wild abandon on her it's kind of a big blue bike. Okay. It reminds me of how much I loved my first bicycle. Don't you remember your first bicycle? I do. Doesn't everybody remember their first bicycle? It's a special bicycle. It is. It's so special. And you have so many memories on that bicycle. It was your primary mode of transportation. It was wonderful. Taylor and I are waxing a bit nostalgic. Thinking about bikes. You know, that first bike that you ever had. You just say the words first bike and there's a picture in your mind right now, exactly. isn't there? When I was growing up, we lived on the farm, so we had gravel roads, but we had a long lane and spaced about a quarter of a mile. We had bridges going across the creek. My sister had a red bicycle. I had a blue bicycle. And we pretended they were convertible cars. Nice. So she had a red convertible, and I had a blue convertible. And we would ride those down the gravel road and go play under the bridges. That's perfect. That's so wonderful. That's exactly how you use a bicycle. Oh, do yeah. either one of you happen to have a convertible now as adults? We do not. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, then you had them as kids. I think as a child, this was one of the biggest gifts you could have gotten. It's always a momentous occasion when it finally comes. Do you remember? Do you remember your first one? I remember my first bicycle. I sure do. Boy, I tell you what, they gave you the freedom that you wanted when you were a kid. So we want to (laughs) know, what was that first bike and what sorts of adventures did you get into? I grew up on a farm too, and my first bike, which was one of the few new things I got, was a yellow John Deere with a banana seat. Wait a minute, wait a minute. They made John Deere bicycles? John Deere made bicycles. My dad bought two for him and my mom, two for my sisters. They had three speeds, and I had a one-speed yellow with a banana seat. Okay, so tell us about an adventure on your yellow John Deere. My dad decided when it was time to take off my training wheels and put me at the top of a long gravel driveway and let me go. Uh (laughs) So I learned really quickly, you don't fall over on gravel. No. (laughs) And never needed my training wheels again. Sheer will kept you up. That's good. That's right. That's right.
thinking about our first bikes. Mm. And because it was our first bikes, there were often um, painful adventures that went along with them. When I was about seven or eight years old, I got uh, my first bike and got to go out on the road. Of course, everybody lived on a farm back then, so we had gravel roads to drive on. And our great aunt and uncle lived just down the road, probably a quarter mile from our house. Right next to their house is a really big hill. And I went up that a little ways as far as I could, turned around, and then came back down to go as fast as I could, you know? Yeah, oh. Oh, going fast is the best. And, of course, on gravel, a little bike, a little kid, it's not going to end well. <laughs> so I wiped out in the middle of the road. Oh. I'm laying in the middle of the road, and I'm right in front of my aunt and uncle's house, so I'm crying, and they're not coming. I'm going, what's the matter with those people? <laughs> I'm hurt laying in the middle of the road, so I start screaming, <laughs> screaming louder. Finally, somebody heard me and came out. I must have laid there for 10 minutes in the middle of the road, <laughs> waiting for somebody to come and rescue me, rather than get up and walk my bike home. Yeah, why would you do that? <laughs> and you're not bitter at all about it, I can tell. No, not at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> Thanks for bringing up that old scabbed memory. In my mind, this is kind of parenting 201 right here. Oh, like next level. This this was clearly not somebody's first child. <laughs> or they stumbled on it. You never know. Because I was reading this post that came through on Facebook and someone was talking about his relationship with his mom and mm-hmm. just how close they were and how she always told him that he was the best potato peeler she had seen in her entire life. <laughs> And he would get so excited if they were going to have company over and they were going to be t- potatoes. He was so excited because yeah. he would get to show off his potato peeling skills. Uh-huh. And he didn't realize. You're chuckling because you know exactly what's going I on. totally know. He didn't know what was going on until he was about 30. <laughs> he was just driving. He was like, wait a minute. Wait. <laughs> I'm probably just an average potato peeler. But my mom got me to peel potatoes my entire life just by telling me how good I was at it. Yes, it is a parenting technique. Absolutely. (laughs) I've employed it and maybe your parents employed it on you. You tell somebody, your child, that they're doing such a good job at something. Like, for example, the one that you saw. Yeah, his uh, his mom told him he was just a world-class potato peeler. He didn't realize what was going on until he was about 30 years old. And realized his mom didn't like to peel potatoes. So we just want to know, what did your parents do to get you to do the things that they didn't want to? Hello, world's best potato peeler. I am the world's best. Duster. Oh, oh, are you? Really? <laughs> yeah. Did not know that, but yes. Your mom told you um, you were the world's best and you kept doing it, didn't you? Well, she didn't want to, so yes. But she took it to another level when she told my brother and I that at supper, one of us found a bay leaf once in the food. Oh, a bay leaf, she yeah. She pick it out. Yep. And she told us that whoever found the most won a prize because she needed picking them out of the food. And the prize was whoever found the most only had to clear the table, not wash the dishes. Oh, that's great. It's definitely a benefit of having children. What? You can pawn stuff off on them. And be like, I don't feel like doing this. This is this is your chore now. I think that there is a it's different ways of looking at this. It's a matter of perspective. You could also be teaching your children valuable skills. Oh, yeah, they that's a good way of saying it. Happen to be the skills that you don't particularly want to do anymore. <laughs> and so you teach your child to do it, and then you let them know how good they are at it. I grew up thinking I was especially brave 
because my mother would be cooking dinner and generally she was she would do everything, prepare the dinner, serve it, get it all cooked up. I loved her cooking and the one thing that she would always have me do for her, she'd say, Taylor, you are much braver than I am. I need you to do the very important job of opening the biscuit cans. Oh, you know those ones where yes. it's, it's it's like a jack-in-the-box for grown-ups. It's scary. Like you're slowly peeling the paper away. And then you press the little spoon or your fingers yep. and then all of a sudden... Pop goes the biscuit. I know. Well, the worst was when like we didn't do the spoon in the, the seam. We would just bang it on the counter. You banged it? Yeah, like if you if you open it all the way up and it didn't pop on its own, you just start thwacking it on the counter until it popped open. Really? Is that not what you're supposed to do? No, that's not what you're supposed to it do. It works. Did they go flinging all over the place? No. Really? It's a gentle thwack. What? You thwack with control. I guess you really are good at it. I Listen, I'm very <laughs> just like, brave. Just like your mom said. There are no biscuits that scare this man. <laughs> Either you have parented this way or you have been parented this way where you figure that you don't really, really want to do something. And so you tell one of your kids they are super good at it. Linda has had this experience with her granddaughter. She was five at the time, but she's seven now. And um, she used to come visit me and she's hyperactive and I always tried to give her something to do. So I just have her wipe down the kitchen counters. And I told her how great they looked mm. and how wonderful they were. Well, now that she's seven, she'll say to me, don't you think your countertops need wiping? <laughs> Meaning she wants to come over and stay overnight. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> she never says, can I come sleep over? She goes, don't you think your countertops need some cleaning? That's adorable. Oh my goodness, you're such a good grandma. Listen, that's grandma, so there's awesome. something in it for you too. <laughs> I love it because I don't like cleaning my countertops off. <laughs> so I love it. I can't wait till she's old enough and let her know about it again. That is so good. <laughs> how how old is old enough to let her know? Yeah, that? when she has children of her own. The Taylor and Jen podcast is a product of Northwestern Media, a ministry of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. You can hear more from Taylor and Jen weekday mornings online at life1071.com or on the Life 107.1 app.